customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, where it's always game time and the game is value. What's value? At Trader Joe's, value is where quality and price come together. Snacks, great value. Drinks, great value. Fruits and veggies, great value. Learn more at TraderJoe's.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Hey, Bruce, it's Monday of the first full week of the college football season, and also, this being August 28th, the All-American is a real living thing. So I'm imagining something like a scene from The Social Network where you and all your your new colleagues just had a wild celebration last night or something. Is that how it played out? If any of us lived in the same place, I guess we would have. No, it was more like a very, very late, late night for myself and Dan Uthman, managing editor. Um, but it, it's, uh, it's gratifying to see, and I hope everybody checks it out, uh, theathletic.com slash allamerican and uh, the Athletic CFB on Twitter. I signed up, uh, by the way, about an hour and a half before we started doing this. Did you get your T-shirt? Uh, I assume it will be coming. I'm yes. curious. So, did you do you see every person who signs up? Like, are you sitting no. there and going? No, no, no. <laughs> that that goes to the athletics uh, headquarters in San Francisco. I don't see any of that. We're just focused on uh, putting the stories on putting the stories on the site and dealing with a little bit of breaking news. Actually, on Sunday, as you guys know, it's been historic, unprecedented rain and flooding in Houston, and so. You know, we had some, some group of five material prepared that we needed to adjust, and obviously our man Chris Benini had to get on the, not just Houston, but Rice, which is flying back from Sydney and can't get back to Houston, which is just a bizarre situation, obviously, and I hope everybody there and their families are okay. And then, of course, the BYU-LSU game may have, by the time this come out, may have already been moved elsewhere. Yeah, on top of it, one of the one of Texas's top recruits had to be a, like a three hundred pound defensive lineman had to be rescued amid the amid this 
the catastrophe of, of the weather that's hit us or hit them down there. So it's, um, you know, I, just as a big picture sense, seeing a lot of the stuff you see on social media, um, the devastation as just part, you know, so much of that is, is so far underwater. It's just kind of mind boggling to see it. And there are a lot of things that are, I think, heartwarming when you see the acts of people, of bravery to rescue people. I mean, there was an image I saw of, uh, I, I mean, I would call this person a first responder. I don't know if he, I think he was a sheriff's deputy who was like rescuing two little kids. And I, I think you see countless things like that. And it just kind of, I mean, I think it awes you to see, see what, you know, and again, not to go off on a tangent, which I think I feel like I'm starting to do. It's just where it feels like there's a lot of stuff that feels very divisive now on social media that you see, even if you're not looking for it. And then when you see this side of it, um, it kind of reminds you of the best of people as opposed to the worst. I would agree. I mean, it's been, I've seen some tremendous, um, you know, clips, pictures of the uh, relief effort going on in Houston, unfortunately. I mean, it looks like they're going to be digging out from this for a long time. Can you just explain where you are, Bruce? It sounds like you're at like a bus terminal or something. Yeah, so I'm in the lobby of my hotel. I'm staying near the airport in Fort Lauderdale tonight um, as I fly at home on Monday, first thing tomorrow morning, and I just don't think it'd be very good to have a couple of toddlers in the background running wild in my hotel room while we do this. So I'm about 25 feet from the check-in, check check-out stand, and there's some background music, and so I'm the guy with the microphone in here. And you may hear my toddler crash the party here at some point, so, uh, you know, let the fun continue. We have a good friend, our guest, Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network, coming on in a second to uh, talk about the 10th anniversary of the Big Ten Network and also some of the intel from his trip around the uh, conference. They go to all 14 schools in the preseason. But before we get to that, we just wanted to say thank you to everybody hopping back on board with us last week it was really cool first of all to bring be able to bring the audible back uh and see the reaction to that and then uh you know the support the numbers we've seen from that episode that was an all-time record for listenership so just we couldn't be more pleased that you guys were so as excited as we were to bring it back yeah, I think, and, and we didn't really have much advance. I think some people had figured it out because they had seen this pop up on their feeds a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, it's like, I don't want to call it a labor of love because it's not labor, but it's just been, it's just a fun thing to do. And I think once we get this, the games actually going, I know we're at, it's weird. I saw people referring to it as week zero over the weekend. Uh, but now we have games and there's a lot to talk about. And mm-hmm. I actually uh, already attended a college football game. I went to the San Jose State USF game where Charlie Strong dug himself a 16 nothing hole and then they scored 42 unanswered. But it did feel like more of like almost like a preseason weekend for college football. Now we get this thing going for real. So there's a big game in Atlanta we want to talk about in a little bit. But first, let's bring on our guest. We are pleased now to be joined by Dave Revson, our friend from the Big Ten Network. And it's particularly cool to have you on this week, Dave, because it is 10th anniversary of the network. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, huh, guys? Uh, August 30th, 2007, we launched. 
Two days later, we, of course, had the Appalachian State-Michigan game. It's the first game ever on our air. So it's pretty remarkable to think 10 years, and that was a pretty good way to kick it off. And we're celebrating all this week, and then we're starting uh, a series that start begins on Wednesday night where we'll have a show that looks back at the first year of the network, kind of the prehistory of the network. And then we'll have one episode on each year, rolling them out one per week. So, you know, look back on the 2008, 2009 school year and so on and so forth. And uh, we've been working on them all summer. I think they're going to be really great. I'm excited about them. Hey Dave, you and I were colleagues way back when in Bristol at ESPN. And I was thinking, it seems like it's been a lot more than 10 years. Does it feel like it's been that way? Does it feel like a lot more than 10 years now or is it just... Or is it one of those where it's the opposite and it feels like the years have kind of flown by? You know what's strange about it, Bruce, is, and I said this to someone recently, someone who's a Big Ten fan, I said, oh, it's our 10th anniversary coming up. Can you believe it's been 10 years? And his line was kind of more like yours. He said, I can't believe it's only been 10 years. It seems like longer than that. You know, I, I don't remember where those games were before BTN. I don't remember my life as a college sports fan without BTN. I, I just... I automatically go and check you guys out among the other you know, various places where those games might be. And I thought that was pretty cool that I do think we've kind of become part of the fabric of things head country. And, um, you know, that that's been neat. But, yeah, I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I'm about a year away from having been at BTN longer than I was at ESPN, which is pretty crazy, too. Uh, I think it just means we're getting old, Bruce. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, Dave, I think the other cool thing is that, you know, oftentimes TV people, TV networks, personalities jump from channel to channel, but you and Jerry, and you could tell me who else, have been there since day one. Yeah, uh, Donardo and Howard and I, uh, Howard Griffith, have been the football team from the very day we launched. Uh, the other two anchors, Mike Hall and Rick Pizzo, have been there since the beginning. Uh, Sean Morris has been there the whole time. We have a, a number of people who have been there since the very beginning. But it's particularly cool with Jerry and Howard and me. I had worked with Jerry for two years at ESPN doing uh, the College Game Day radio show and kind of helped recruit him to BTN and uh, didn't know Howard at all. And he is just an unbelievable guy. And the three of us kind of meshed really from the very beginning. We, we went on a tour, kind of the precursor to our tours now that we do the bus tour every year that we just finished, where uh, at that time there were only 11 teams, of course. And we went and visited every coach and went to camp and just made sure everyone knew who we were on campus before the, the network launched. And that was a really important time for us in terms of getting to know one another and bonding and went out for dinner every night. And we still, when we are on the road on our bus tour, we were gone for 20 days. And of those days, there are a bunch of days where you have dinner on the bus, you know, maybe going from one school to another or whatever. But of all the other days when we were all in the same town and we could go out for a meal, you know, the three of us went out together. I mean, we just really enjoy each other's company and uh, have gotten to know each other really well. And, and I just think it's helped a lot in terms of our chemistry, really, from day one. Dave, like uh, my colleague Stu, you graduated from Northwestern. Unlike Stu, graduated Phi Beta Kappa. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, having worked at ESPN for a long time and then going to the Big Ten, where your focus is now just those schools is was there ever a part where you felt like especially when there was some down years with the big 10 you know not just all the stuff that went on at penn state but there was michigan was struggling there was a 
relatively brief window when Ohio State was was in some trouble there first with uh, with the NCA NCA issues of Jim Tressel. Um, was there a time when you looked at it and go, hmm, I'm kind of on the outside looking in in college sports a little bit, you know, or did you just say, hey, it's cyclical and this is my home and this is this is, um, you know, this is going to turn around sooner than later? I think more the latter. I mean, it has been disappointing when the Big Ten has down years, you know, when you don't have a team make the final four and so you don't get to go or, you know, if, if you don't have a, a great year in the bowl season or that type of thing, um, th- that can be challenging, no doubt, because certainly part of my job then is to do the, the postmortems. And we've done a fair number of postmortems through the years of, of why this season went awry. But I do, I have, I think kind of the cyclical nature of it really has stood out to me through the years in college sports. And just this belief, Bruce, that solid programs, programs that are historically on solid footing, almost always come back. And so I think I believe that our historic powerhouse programs would ultimately end up figuring it out, which, of course, Ohio State did in relatively short order uh, after their one down year in, in that transition. And and I certainly think Michigan's coming back and Penn State's coming back. It's going to be interesting to follow Nebraska here and kind of see what happens. I think these next few years are really important. There's one particular moment I remember on the Big Ten Network I'm going to ask you about. I was putting it on the spot a little bit. I don't know if you can comment or not, but what was it like the night you had to announce legends and leaders? You know, that is so funny um, because we were just talking about this on when we were recording our shows on the history of the network. And, you know, I really believed in the idea of trying to do balanced divisions, which was the notion behind legends and leaders, right? I mean, it wasn't why they came up with those names, but the idea was we're not going to do it geographically. And if you don't do it geographically, then you have to come up with names for the divisions. And I understand kind of the eye roll of legends and leaders but i mean like would prairies and lakes have been better i mean i guess i just don't know what people would have suggested you know like the atlantic and the coastal in the acc i mean i don't know is that i mean i guess it comes off as less um you know the high and mighty or whatever than legends and leaders maybe did but it it didn't bother me and the really funny thing Stu, was that i went out uh, I'm driving around, I'm listening to sports radio, and people are talking about legends and leaders the day that we had announced it, and they are ripping on it. And one of the hosts says, don't you just want to know what Dave Revson was thinking when he was sitting there next to Jim Delaney, and Jim Delaney saying legends and leaders. And you're hearing this, you know, driving around the car, and I was kind of like, I don't know, I mean, I thought it was all right. I mean, it didn't bother me as much as it's bothering you guys, apparently. So, I, I mean, I get it. You know, look, they obviously... Um, I think they admitted uh, fairly openly that, that it wasn't popular and, and got it. Um, but you know, now there's been a lot of pushback on, well, there's a lot of inequity between the East and the West, and why didn't they balance the divisions? So who knows? Uh, I understand the issue is more the nomenclature than the balance, but, uh, it, but it didn't it was bother the name. as much as it bothered other people. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. – because I, I was, I think, in the same camp at the time. Oh, you can't have Ohio State and Michigan in the same division. That's going to – you're going to regret that, but when, as soon as they said the names, in fact, it was one of the first examples I remember, because what was it, like 2011, 2010? One of the first examples yeah. I can remember of a Twitter firestorm. Just yeah, the avalanche of, of anger over that. The kind well, of where would that, you have gone with it? What would you have done? Um, if, they, if, if it had been 
you know, like you said, not straight geographic. And I, I don't know. I mean, it was a two, it was a twofold challenge. One was the mockery of the names and the other was getting people to remember which ones are in which, which I still have a little problem with 12 years later with the ACC. Not so I much which teams are on which that. side, but which yeah. one's Atlantic and which one's coastal. It's right. just so much simpler when it's east and west. The, uh, the, the part that reminds me of is, I don't know how, five years ago, a bunch of college media is all gathered in California where they're determining the name of the playoff. And I felt like there was, you know, four or five of us around Joe Castiglione, the 88 Oklahoma. And we're like, so what do you think of the name? And it told them the name. It's college football playoff. And he had this kind of, he, Joe always has this kind of like, def, almost like a default to a smile. And yeah. he looked and he was like, it was almost like, no, seriously, what, what's the name? Like, no, that's the name. And it was almost like the, are you bleeping kidding me? That's what they went with kind of look on his face, uh, which was priceless. But, um, and literally it's priceless. So, I want to get to, you referenced this earlier. I think this is the best thing that you guys do are those tours. You do it in the spring, you do it in training camp. And just as like an information junkie, you know, as somebody who is not there, I mean, even if I do my own, you know, tour in the spring, just when you guys drill down so deep in each individual team, like it's invaluable, whether it's, whether it's Michigan state or Indiana or Purdue or, you know, whoever you guys go to, uh, you know, to, to, to see those pieces, to read Tom Dean Hart's recaps of what he's seen. I mean, I think it's just a great way to get up to speed on each program and where they're at, and who's coming up. So I wanted to ask you, you guys have done this tour and been pretty much everywhere. What jumped out at you the most at, I don't want to say necessarily at each stop, but what are maybe the three or four things that really caught your eye on this tour, this this training camp? This well, um, I mean, this is kind of every year, so maybe this isn't a huge surprise, but just the how impressive Ohio State is physically, I think that one always stands out, and, and it is amazing. I, I wish sometimes that we could see them a little later in the tour. We tend to go east first. And so you don't have as many teams. You have to kind of remember what everyone looked like a year ago. You don't have teams that you've just seen to compare them to. They were our second stop this year, so we had only seen Indiana. But they're just so physically imposing year in and year out. So that's one that always stands out. Uh, Wisconsin really impressed me this year. Uh, they, um, I think that offensive line is back to being kind of what you would envision a Wisconsin offensive line looking like and, and that it's going to be kind of when Paul Chris really had it going as the off offensive coordinator, uh, it's going to be that kind, to me, that kind of offense physically. Now, obviously, they don't have a, a leader like Russell Wilson right now, although I think you know, Hornibrook's going to have a solid year. But I'm, I'm not in any way predicting the offense is going to be quite that overpowering. But I think it's more in the mold of, of what Paul Chris wants to do. Uh, Tanner Lee stood out at Nebraska. He can really throw it. You know, I know there's almost been this backlash for some people of that he's getting too much hype. Uh, I was really impressed with Nebraska. I, I thought they were better than I thought they'd be. Uh, the O-line, which I know is a huge concern of Huskers fans, I thought was pretty impressive. I think he's got a few very capable receivers. So uh, I, I was impressed by them. I would say those were, were three that jumped out right away. Uh, you know, obviously, Penn State looked really good. Um, but yeah, you always learn so much on that tour. That's just invaluable to see them in person, to be able to eyeball players and, and really get a sense of, of who's who, to talk to coaches, to get a sense of 
you know, storylines that they're interested in and they're watching. And as you guys know, there's some stuff you get off camera, just kind of on, on background that really helps you during the course of the year. So it's not even necessarily only the stuff that shows up on the air. Um, so based on everything you've seen, what would be a bold prediction for the Big Ten this season? A bold prediction for the Big Ten this season? Um, man, you know, I always say I'm not in the business of making the predictions. I'm in the business of making fun of the guys who make the predictions. <laughs> you know, it's a lot easier to sit there and, and make Jerry and Howard pick a top three and, uh, you know, then just kind of, uh, you know, laugh about it a little bit. Um what would my bold prediction be? Uh, Northwestern to Pasadena. I don't know. I don't think Northwestern's going to be. I was really disappointed in the offensive line when we were there, Stu. I, I yeah. still think that's just an ongoing issue. Uh, they're really good in a lot of other places. But when I see people saying that they can challenge Wisconsin, I just don't think they can. I, I, I don't think they're, you know, it's not to say they couldn't beat Wisconsin because they absolutely could. Um, but I just don't think they're they're good enough kind of across the board on that old line to to win that division. So I know right, a lot of people me, are talking about that as a bold prediction, but let, let I'd be really surprised if they won it. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have to make a bold prediction, but it's about predictions. I th- yes. I've found that throughout the Kirk Ferentz tenure at Iowa, that when they're picked to do well, they don't. And when they're under the radar, they go to the Rose Bowl. It, right. It's like you can never – it's, it's, I don't know, it's almost like it's the same team and then they just, they, they go three wins in the other direction, one way or the other. So when you go and see them every year, can you tell, can you tell when this is going to be 2015 Iowa as opposed to, you know, last year's Iowa? No, I thought last year would be pretty good. Uh, I was pretty surprised at, at how it came out. So, no, you can't always tell. I mean, I would say, I don't know how much you guys gauge. Like, this year, to me, it's going to kind of come down to their quarterback play. I, I think they're pretty good on both lines of scrimmage. Uh, I, they're really talented at running back. I mean, the transfer Butler from Nevada is going to help them a ton. I think they'll be good. I think they'll be a little bit better than people expect them to be, kind of contingent on QBs. But I'll say this. Like, it is really hard sometimes to separate the middle. So you have a pretty good sense of who the really elite teams are. I mean, it's obvious Ohio State's good. It's obvious Penn State's good, Wisconsin, so on and so forth. The bottom of the league is usually pretty easy to tell, too. But then to, like, separate out Team 5 from Team 10, that could be really challenging. And, and I, I think in a lot of those scenarios, it comes down to who gets hurt. It's a play here, a play there. That determines a game. I mean, there probably isn't a ton of separation between Team 5 and Team 10 a lot of years. And it's apparent when you go see them in camp. I, I do think sometimes it's hard to distinguish. And then it just depends what your bias is. You know, are you a guy who spends a ton of time paying attention to one side of the ball? Is there, you know, are you an O-line guy? You know, well, what's kind of your, what, what would you hang your hat on to make your prediction? I, I think that kind of, that comes into play. I've seen with our analysts, definitely. But my last question to Davis is way too open ended for my own good, but I'm going to throw, I'm going to let you kind of steer with it. So Jim Harbaugh, there's never a dull moment with him. Certainly on social media, you know, that you see the, I guess, NJ.com story about, you know, their FOIA just to get a roster and, and different things. Like every day there's some kind of drama, you know, it's right. gotten to the point where, you know, because he didn't beat Ohio state in his first couple of years. Now people are like, I don't think they're saying, certainly not saying he's on the hot seat, but they're like predicting that the patience is where is going to start to wear thin 
if he doesn't get the results, and obviously he has the fewest returning starters back from where you sit. Uh, how do you see Jim Harbaugh in year three? Do you think if he doesn't beat Ohio State this year that the, the patience will wear thin and some people will start to turn on him who are in his corner? Or do you think it's just from what you saw, they're probably maybe they'll be better than everybody's predicting? My sense is in Ann Arbor, Bruce, and I, I may be wrong here, but my sense is that no one is, I mean, they would love to be Ohio State, but I think people are cognizant they came inches away from doing it last year and that this is going to be a challenging year to beat Ohio State. I mean, as you said, the fewest returning starters in the country. Now, I think that's a little deceiving. You know, Rashawn Gary doesn't count as a returning starter. Maurice Hurst doesn't count as a returning starter. I mean, those guys are pretty good. They've got a lot of talent, but but I would be surprised were they to win the East this year. To me, if he doesn't win it next year, because this team should really be locked and loaded a year from now. I mean, they have a bunch of guys who are going to play significant roles as underclassmen this year. They lost the most guys of any team to the NFL draft. As you guys know, they have the most players invited to the combine. I think even the most unreasonable fan, and we all know there are a lot of them out there, would understand that this is a challenging year to get past both Ohio State and Penn State, given everything that they have. But I think if it doesn't happen after next year, then I definitely think there is some impatience there, no doubt. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. I just think they're, I mean, their talent, I talked about how talented Ohio State is and how physically impressive they are. Michigan's just so young, it's, it's hard to pick them. But, but man, I mean, athletically, they stack up with anyone in the league. They're, they're a really impressive group. Interesting stat, guys, I found. Michigan, like you said, five returning starters. Uh, that is the fewest returning starters for any FBS team since 2012. Um, wow. But Ohio State just a year ago uh, returned six and did pretty well for themselves. So I, I don't think Michigan has recruited at the level Ohio State has. So making the playoff after losing that many guys seems a little unrealistic, but I'd be surprised if they take too far a fall. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that they'll be kind of right there. I, I think they won't. Again, I don't think they're going to win the division. I think they might have a say in who wins it. I mean, maybe they knock off one of those elite teams and, and open the door for one of the other ones. Um, but but yeah, they're I mean, they'll be a solid. I'd be really surprised if they're not a nine or ten win team. I mean, I think they're really, really good. I got just one other for you, Davis. It's more back to the to, to BTN itself. It's funny when we're talking about ten years. The first thought I had was, "Wow, I feel like the like there's been like ten years of Larry Scott talking about trying to to broach uh, Directv and that kind of thing." For, from from what you guys have been able to do, where I feel like it's been a lot more smooth sailing. Where do you think the biggest area you guys have grown as a network has been over that from the start to where you guys are now? I think the biggest area of growth for us has been kind of figuring out how to navigate challenging situations. I think you come into this and there's an understanding, look, we are equity partners with the uh, the schools in the league. You know, they all have a share with it. And then Fox, as you guys know, is, um, you know, it's a the partnership with Fox and the Big Ten. And so kind of how do you handle challenging situations? And, and we had a really challenging one, obviously, maybe one of the most challenging ever and a, a horrific story with the Jerry Sandusky scandal. And we really didn't handle it well at all the first couple of days. And I think if there's anything that I can have back from those first 10 years, 
it would be those first two days kind of trying to figure out, well, what should we do? How do we handle this? And, you know, kind of waiting for Penn State to respond to us. And they didn't because they had so much else going on. And, you know, it's just kind of a mess. And and I think what we learned, we finally decided after like two days, basically, that, look, we're just going to say what we think. And, you know, we have enough credibility and background in this league that, if we say what we think, we're okay. And if we have something to back it up, and, and that was what we did. And and I felt like that was really a turning point for us, which is that, um, you know, there's a certain trust level, I think, that, that the schools have in us and that we have a foundation. We know our schools better than anyone that uh, we're going to, we are going to say what we believe. I mean, we feel like if you're going elsewhere for Big Ten News, then we're doing a disservice to ourselves and to viewers. I mean, I think they have to believe that they're not going to get some sort of whitewashed version of the truth when they turn us on. And and I don't feel like they do. Um, but also I think, you know, there's kind of a balancing act with the schools too. And I think the, the biggest area that we've improved, the biggest thing we've learned is how to navigate that, that balancing act. And I feel so much better about it now than, than I would have you know, five, six years ago, but certainly more so than nine or 10 years ago, where, where you were just trying to kind of explain to people who you were and what you were doing. Well, obviously, we both enjoy watching the channel. I've enjoyed being on the channel the last couple of years. Um, everybody should follow Dave at BTN, Dave Revson. And uh, what do you guys have for Saturday? Well, uh, you know, a bunch of action coming up uh, this week. We, we start off on Thursday night with P.J. Flex uh, debut uh, for Minnesota, taking on Buffalo. And then we've got a bunch of games throughout the day on Saturday. As I said, we've got uh, on Wednesday, we've got this first show in our 10th anniversary series. So we're excited about that. And then rolling one out every week. So kind of the backstory of the Big Ten Network this week and then uh, starting with the 2007-2008 school year the next week. and So lots of good stuff. Tailgate show back this year, so heading back on campus. We're excited about our partnership with Fox, so we might see Bruce some uh, on the air and uh, excited to you know keep talking to you guys, have you back and talk playoffs, Stu, and all that good stuff. Well, hopefully Juan's that will not sink the network now that he's gotten his, his, uh, his hooks into it, and uh, hopefully he'll keep it all afloat for for all of us. You guys don't How make it another he? 10 years. We'll know why. How great is he in the green room, by the way? He's the king of the green room. That's, oh, that's I know you guys. It's, the, av it's the avocado there. room for you guys, isn't it? I've heard you refer to it as the avocado. Room. That is it. It's a very fox yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's green at, at BTN. It's not actually green, but we call it the green room. Uh, yeah. And good luck with the athletics, too. I'm a, I'm a charter subscriber, so I'm fired up to see what you guys come up with. Awesome. We will not disappoint you. Well, it's a great staff you've assembled, so excited to start reading. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Dave. Thanks, All right, Dave. fellas. Thanks for having me. All right. We appreciate Dave, an old friend, for joining us and providing some real insight into what's going on with the Big Ten, a conference a lot of people feel may be as good as any in college football this year. Certainly the Big Ten East is as good as any, any division. Uh, Stu, the marquee game of the weekend is FSU – against Alabama. Alabama's a seven-point favorite as we tape this. You're going to be at the game. What are you most excited about your trip to Atlanta to see in this, in this kind of matchup between top three teams? Look, this is as good as it gets for a week one game. In, in, in my time covering the sport, 
never seen anything like this where not just that it's number one against number three, but obviously Alabama is the the program that we talk about the most, that we cover the most, that we scrutinize the most. And they've had all this success in these early season, these, these neutral site games. I wrote about this for my first column on the All-American, how they have not only been winning these games every year, but just destroying people. But they yeah, haven't played a team that at least on paper we think will be as good as Florida State is. Um, here's my thing, and it's a little bit, you know, geeky, but my storyline for this game, I want to know what Alabama's new offense looks like with Brian Dayball as the offensive coordinator because that's an area where I'm never worried about Alabama personnel-wise anymore. But I do wonder if, I mean, heaven forbid I question Nick Saban's hiring strategy, but going away from the Kiffin-Sark-style offense to a guy who is probably going to make them more traditional again, I'm very curious to see what that looks like. Yeah, I I mean, look, they have a deep stable of running backs. I think... It's going to be interesting to see. You mentioned this, I think, last week. We talked a little bit about Cam Akers, who's a really touted, gifted freshman running back. who's one of the guys who they're counting on to try and replace Dalvin Cook. We'll see how he does against that Alabama defense. But I think what, what to me, feels so exciting about this matchup is it could be a lot like an LSU-Alabama game where you just have two great defenses you know, going up against each other. And the offenses could look pretty underwhelming. But I, I think we're going to find out a lot more about how far DeAndre Francois has come. Because last year, they struggled at times to protect him, and he took a pounding, and, he, you know, to his credit, he, he hung in there and kept battling. Uh, the question I had had, and even though I have them in my playoff, is just how accurate can he be? And I'm very interested to see how he responds against this defense. To me, that's the biggest thing I'm most excited about is DeAndre Francois against Minka Fitzpatrick in that Alabama defense and to see see what it's going to look like because that's going to be a really, really super intense atmosphere to him to jump into. How surprised would you be if midway through the second quarter, one team or the other is up you know, 24 to nothing? It wouldn't shock me just because I think in the beginning of the season, this stuff kind of happens from time to time. You know, the first... You know, I remember there was a year where I think Florida State was preseason number one. This is almost 30 years ago. And Miami played them, and Miami beat them like 31 to nothing. You know, there are games where, you know, sometimes, I mean, it's the first real game. And I think the, the gap can be significant. Sometimes, you're, you know, for a lot of people who are playing, either not just freshmen or guys who have never been into, like, the same role they're thrust into on that night, so you can have some clunker performances. So it would not shock me. I think I'd be shocked if Alabama was down, you know, 27 to 7 at half because they have a lot of guys who played. It's not like Jalen Hurts hasn't played. It's not like, you know, they're on pain. It's not like Megan Fitz, you know, like a lot of the leadership of those guys have been there. So, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's why I think it's so much fun to see a matchup like this in week one. I'm, I'm so fired up about it. Okay, so we both agree that's the A game for you. What's what's next? What's the game after that you're most excited for? If, um, you know, I think a lot of people would, would probably point to to Florida, Michigan. I'm, you know, I, I'm definitely curious about that, but I'm not, you know, I haven't heard great things about Florida. They have like seven guys suspended, including their best offensive player for this game. 
Michigan. I'm curious to see what they look like because they only have five starters back. But I think that game is, is, is a curiosity. I'm not sure, you know, when I look at it, um, you know, there's a bunch of things I, I, I want to see. Like, I want to see the Sunday games. There's two interesting matchups to me. It's it's UCLA at Texas A&M. Obviously, both coaches, there's a lot of you know, scuttlebutt on where, you know, what their futures could be. You know, Josh Rosen against John Chavis's defense, you know, part two. Uh, West Virginia plays Virginia Tech. I mean, I'll be honest, I'm curious to see Wyoming against Iowa, at Iowa. You know, see what Josh Allen can do because we've heard so much about him. Uh, and since you asked, one under-the-radar game for me is Navy opened as a 21-point favorite against FAU and Lane Kiffin, which the game's in Boca. That spread went from 21. It's at When it opened to 21, it's now 10 and a half. You know, obviously Lane Kiffin has loaded up on some former four-star recruits. Now, a handful of them can't play in this game because they're sitting out the season as transfers. But I'm very curious to see what, what Lane Kiffin and FAU can do against Kenny Amatololo and a Navy team that is very respectable. That's a pretty that, that's a pretty bizarre line move, given that Kenny Amatololo is probably one of the most respected coaches in the country, and if anything, is you know very consistent from year to year. And Lane Kiffin, as a head coach, became kind of a, a punchline by the end of his USC tenure, and yet. You're telling me that the public, I assume it's the public at this point, maybe it's the Sharps, I don't know, is putting their chips in on lane against the Amatololo. I don't know. I just looked at, uh, I looked up these things on Vegas Insider to see where it started and where it's at uh, a little while before we taped this, and that caught my eye. I was actually going to go out to FAU practice the other day, but it, it didn't work out with the timing of it. But uh, I'm very curious to see what, what, you know, Lane has been very good at, as always, at getting attention. And, you know, we'll see what the product on the field looks like. They were horrible on defense last year, and they only won three games. You know, I mean, I'm going to ask you now. I don't want to get into, like, some of these other, you know, do you think this team's going to win or that team's going to win? But if I set the over-under on FAU wins at six and a half, what would you take? I don't claim to know much about FAU's personnel. Six and a half, I'm going to take the under. I feel like six is the is the goal there. Yeah, I probably should have said it at six. That's my, my guess. <laughs> anyway, okay, fair enough. Okay, so back to these week one games. One that I, so I agree with you. I think both Sunday night games are very compelling. There's a Saturday night game that is probably expected to be a blowout, and maybe it will be, and yet I find myself kind of interested in it. In fact, it is a 26-point spread now that I look it up. Louisville-Purdue. I just I want to see Lamar Jackson be Lamar Jackson again. He, he you know, That last month of the season last year in the ballgame was pretty rough, but when there's a reason he won the Heisman. He was the most exciting player in college football for the first eight or nine games of the season. And I have a feeling he's going to go back to being that against Purdue's defense. How much did Brando put you up to pay you to, to plug his Is game? Brando calling that game? He is calling that game. Fantastic. Even better. Yeah. It's, uh, the only problem is it's game. opposite uh, FSU Alabama. Well, for the Brando fanatics, they will, they will 
tune into that and they will have second screen for the other game. So. I guess I will be watching that one on my computer at in the, I was almost said Georgia Dome, in the new stadium in Atlanta. What's your upset pick for week one? I'm glad you asked. Uh, you know, I was tempted to go, go on the board and, and take that Wyoming 12 and a half at Iowa. Um, a couple other ones that caught my eye. Appalach- Appalachian State is a two-touchdown underdog at Georgia. Houston is a 12-point favorite at UTSA. Uh, we'll see if that how that uh, how that game gets played, or you know what the situation is going to be like. Uh, I came between these two, and I'm going to go with both of them. Actually, South Carolina six and a half point underdog at NC State. I know NC State has a great defense. I'm not sure on that one. I'm leaning towards South Carolina, but ultimately, I'm going to take West Virginia, a four and a half point underdog against Virginia Tech. This is Will Greer's first game. It's also the first star for Josh Jackson, new quarterback at Virginia Tech. I'm going to take West Virginia as as my upset. You? I didn't even know that was an upset. (laughs) I would have assumed West Virginia was favored given everybody that Virginia Tech lost. Uh, You know, that Wyoming-Iowa one definitely stands out. That definitely... But keep in mind, Stu, West Virginia only has two starters back on, on defense. Gotcha. So they've lost a ton of guys. Yeah, I mean, the Wyoming-Iowa game feels like the kind of game that could be an upset. But, uh, you know, this happened week one last season. I don't know why it couldn't happen again. This year, Kentucky's going to play at Southern Miss. I could definitely see that one happening. And then what about, speaking of that state, what about... South Alabama against Ole Miss. They beat Mississippi State last year. And I think we all agree this Ole Miss team's got issues. Yeah, I, of the two, I would probably lean towards Southern Miss. Now, Southern Miss has to replace a really good quarterback. They do have a terrific running back. Uh, Kentucky is down, lost their starting left tackle in training camp and also one of their best receivers. So, you know, that's kind of the Shannon Dawson game. Shannon Dawson was the offense coordinator at UK. Now he's at Southern Miss, which kind of forced out a year ago. That's a, That would be an interesting one. Yeah, there's actually a lot of uh, people, you know, who follow the SEC who feel like this could be a big year for Kentucky. Obviously, last year was a good breakthrough for Mark Stoops' team. They found themselves a quarterback. And the SEC East is obviously very uh, gettable, but... That also just feels like the kind of game Kentucky loses sometimes. Yeah, and the question is, is this a different era for Kentucky football? And I think we're going to find out a lot more about them. He took a big step. He's recruited well. He being Mark Stoops. Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I, that's one I'm going to keep an eye on. It's, it's like you said, it's a little under the radar, but I think it's a cool matchup. Well, we mentioned a whole lot of games being played on Saturday and Sunday, but uh, obviously things kick off Thursday night, and you, Bruce Shelvin, will be a part of it. Yeah, we have, a, we have what I think is actually the best matchup on Thursday night. It is Tulsa, who won 10 games last year. Philip Montgomery is one of those rising star coaches. Uh, going to Oklahoma State, who you picked to go to the playoff. I mean, they have arguably the best offense in the country. I think that game should be a shootout. It should be a lot of fun. Um, really looking forward to that. And then after that that uh, game late that night, our crew is driving 
I don't know, it's like an hour and a half, I think, to, to Norman to get ready for Lincoln Riley's first game on Saturday afternoon. So I'm pretty fired up to get to, to Oklahoma for a loaded college football week. Yeah, that should be a really cool doubleheader. Um, I will watch your game, but I will be flipping between that and Ohio State-Indiana. The good news is, I think, for you, the Ohio State-Indiana game should be over fairly quickly. But do, you give, uh, do you give Tom Allen's team any chance to keep it a game into the second half? Uh, it would give them a chance to keep it a game into the second quarter, and then I think the floodgates will open. I think Kevin Wilson's probably got some 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 wrinkles ready for his former employer. All right, that's something to keep an eye on. I won't be able to keep an eye on it, but uh, I'm sure. I don't know. There's like a mega cast thing going on, so. Sure. Yeah, they're treating ESPN's treating that game like it's a national championship. There's there's even more people in Bristol watching an Indiana football game than usually are in. <laughs> stadium for Indiana football games. So yeah, I assume that's part to, to ramp up, try to get eyeballs onto the weekend's games and certainly to even drive even more traffic to the Alabama FSU game. Did you happen to see you probably didn't see it on TV, but you may have seen pictures on Twitter of Chip Kelly in studio this past weekend? I did. You know what? I watched the I watched the Broken Arrow uh, Tulsa Union uh, game on Saturday, and I saw Chip on halftime with John Vilma. And so I got to admit, you know, like I, I talked to him a decent amount, and just seeing him in a suit kind of was like, whoa. <laughs> That's exactly the reaction I had. It was, whoa, what are you doing in a suit? Like, where's your visor? It just seemed totally out of context. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, like one of the things I heard him, he told a good anecdote about Sam Rotigliano and recruiting and quarterbacks. And, you know, like I thought some of the insight was there. I just think it's like, you know, sometimes when it's somebody you've seen in, in the same context all the same time, and just there's certain guys where you're like, I don't see them in suits. You know, I just, it just doesn't seem like that. And I think Chip would be one of those guys. You know, you see him in... You just don't see him as a guy who's in a, in a in a in a suit very often, so that's why I think kind of makes you do a double take. Well, I didn't used to see you in a suit very often, and then you started doing these TV games, and now you're in one every weekend. So, um, you know, maybe we'll get asked, used to it. I actually asked somebody in our crew, uh, not crew, on our makeup people. I was like, you know, I've had the same makeup for a couple of years. Does that go bad? And they're like, yeah, you need to change that. So. At some point between now and then, I'm going to go walk into like a drugstore in, in Stillwater and get some good powder. God knows what kind of damage I'm probably doing to my skin with this with this moldy old stuff I've been using. Okay, used. first of all, yes, that does get gross after a year, much less two years. And second of all, come on, you're on network television. You're gonna, you can't treat yourself to like go to a Nordstrom counter or something. You're really going to do this at a Walgreens? I don't know. I mean, is there? I mean, I don't know what. My options are going to be in, in Stillwater. Is there going to be a Macy's I could go to? Maybe there is or something. I don't know. Can you um, do me a favor and call up our friend Rob Stone for some makeup tips before you? I just have, I've, I've, I don't like the direction this is headed. Get some help from a professional. Okay. I, I will do that. I will do that. All right. That's about it for this episode. Um, other than a few last things I'm going to say right now. Subscribe to The Audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Our producer is Lindsay Fulton. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Check out their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Stu on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. 
And for updates on Stu's new site, The All-American, follow The Athletics CFB. We'll see you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.